Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. My name is Mike Fada. I have Nima Fotovat from uh, Made Good, but uh, uh, a house of brands under Riverside. If you have a question, put your hand up, uh, come up on stage, introduce yourself and your business, and uh, you can ask your question. If anyone has any questions, then uh, now's the time to ask them. If not, I, uh, I got another one for you. So I'd love just to understand COVID and the impact of COVID uh, on the business and uh, and kind of how you're thinking about your your, your resources in, in the uh, in the the year plus of, of COVID. Yeah, it's hard to avoid the COVID conversation, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, Mike. It's uh, as much as um, it, it has become part of everyone's life, and uh, for more than a year now, and um, and it and it you know, in in hindsight, um, I have to uh, take. Uh, it was a great learning for me because I was, I was uh, vacationing in March and uh, I was seeing in the news what was going on and, uh, and even in February seeing what was going on in China. And uh, I did not, as, 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 as the president of a company, I have to say that I did not connect the dots as to the fact that this is a pandemic. It cannot stay in China. It can come here. Some, some, some uh, uh, great CEOs have, were able to get, even it was a matter of getting a week or two or three ahead of it. And I think every day uh, that you were able to get ahead of it was, uh, was beneficial to the business. And I have to say that at the first, even, even into March, there was the or- orders were... Like everybody was pantry loading and everything was hot and I was uh, didn't know what was ahead of us. So as far as the business itself went, and then we quickly had to, obviously the lockdown came and uh, the priority for us pivoted to the employees um, and keeping everyone safe. Now you got manufacturing, we've got multiple sites, uh, we were working, we're open 24 hours, we've got people who are taking public transit, uh, we're living in it. We're, we we we're urban manufacturers, so we've got uh, people in cities in high density areas, and then you've got the pandemic. You've got fear. You've got employees who are uh, you know who are concerned, and so it 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 uh, we turn to our you know I think it turned to what's what you believe in our our values and uh, and what's important, and so we just put all the focus. I think the first few months was just around. Uh, protecting everyone. Um, uh, we invested quite a bit. We hired a full-time nurse. Um, we put a hero pay in, which we haven't taken away since we put it in in April um, because we're still in a pandemic and we still have uh, employees taking public transit. So I think that was important. We, uh, we invested quite a bit in um, personal protective gear. We've created... Uh, gaps between shifts, which obviously is not efficient. However, in order for managing the flow of people, we, we provided, uh, provided that uh, gap between shifts so that we minimized, again, maximizing physical distancing, minimizing interaction between people. 
Um, the office moved to a remote office. Um, most of most of us, although my sisters and I have been going to work every day, as well as our leadership team, because our because our plant and our uh, and our offices are connected, and uh, we believe we have to be in there with our employees. We can't be sitting at home um, while. You're sending your staff to uh, to make products. As far as the impact to the business, obviously it was uh, uh, with on the go. The need state all of a sudden changed. So the need state of on the go, I need convenience on the go, changed to I need indulgence and baking at home. So <laughs> obviously overnight, I think we were we 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 the the demand crashed in April May. June, um, and then it started to it has started to come back uh, since uh, you know it's a choppy but coming back, and it's it's true as as you you alluded to in in the in categories. And interesting, I was listening to a a podcast with the Campbell CEO and around goldfish and goldfish also the which is a which is a you would think goldfish is a pantry item, but the need state or the usage of that product is. For moms putting it in lunch boxes, I think it's the number one uh, vacuumed um, snack out of uh, uh, cars. Um, so um, it was interesting to you know the the learning of what happens when consumers consumer behavior shifts, the needs change, and the way uh, they consume products, and obviously the impact on. Um, uh, on, on where they shop, how they shop, the e-commerce, uh, the, the, the formats going from, a, uh, you know, wanting to buy a, a bigger pack versus a smaller pack because they, want, they wanted to go to the store less. So there's just a staggering amount of change that has happened, which is, you know, to me, it's exciting because change is a lot, of, you know, it, it highlights a lot of opportunities. It, it also highlights a lot of weaknesses that we can address. Uh, so it's been challenging. Um, um, the business still grew in 2020 for us, um, which is fantastic. Um, but we were planning for much more growth than uh, it actually came in. And again, we anticipate modest growth in 2021. And we're hoping to go back to our more of an accelerated growth in 2022 and beyond. Well, I wish you the best on that. And I think from uh, your discipline and the love that you're putting into your business, you and your, your family, I, uh, I, I'd imagine uh, as soon as the market's uh, there, um, you guys will be ready for it. So thank you. Jolene, welcome. How are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me up. Mike, I love your rooms. They're so thoughtful. Uh, they're thoughtfully put together and all of the information that you uh, get from your guest speakers or is so helpful to those of us. Uh, well, I can maybe just say for myself, who's just entering the um, consumer package good space and Nima, it's very nice to meet you. And um, I'm very familiar with your brands and I've been reading about it since you've been talking to, and you mentioned something um, uh, earlier uh, just now about COVID. And um, I was looking at some of your ingredients earlier and some of the things that you put in your, your, um, your snacks. And, and I also, I should say, I also have been in the food media, food space, reporting food trends for over 20 years, uh, before I launched my, um, my CBD honey. But 
I wondered uh, for you, we were just talking about COVID and, and um, health, and I know that snacks, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that you did really well during the uh, pandemic because um, I think <laughs> I think a lot of us are really tired of cooking. And snack foods, healthy snack foods, things that you can just grab easily, it's so helpful to, to people who don't want to cook or who just don't want to take time or who maybe do procrastination snacking. I know I'm one of those. But um, I was wondering how much of that, uh, the ingredients, um, are you weighing out more now as you move forward maybe or develop new products? Are you looking at other functional foods? Or I noticed that you put uh, mushrooms in some of your um, granola bars. I think it was shiitake. Are you guys looking at other mushrooms and functional mushrooms like lion's mane or any other, you know, I mean, I'm in the honey and, and the um, hemp space. So are you looking at doing any of those ingredients, adding more functional foods for immune-based products as we move, you know, through the pandemic and start to, I guess, really, I think people are really looking at their health a little bit more. I just wondered if you might want to talk about um, anything that you're considering as far as that and how it's impacted your company and your ingredients. Thank you, Jolene. Uh, nice to meet you and great question. Uh, to me, it's a tough one because is it food or is it medicine and uh, how much functionality should one put in uh, a product before it becomes too complex and too too engineered? Because I'm a, I have a, I like, I, I try to keep things simple and kind of have a simple philosophy um, around whether everything to do with design, product, ingredients, um, uh, I think that for us, we, we love functional ingredients. I think every food we eat has to have something. I, I don't think it should be empty calories. I, I think there's definitely a, 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 ro a room for everything to provide a benefit. Uh, I think it's important for the consumer to be able to understand what that benefit is. And it's, as I said, not too complicated. Keep it simple on what that benefit is. And for us, we... For example, we have in Made Good, we have the six uh, vegetable uh, nutrients and the shiitake mushrooms that we put in there are, are used to draw to get vitamin D into the product and we get 20% RDI of vitamin D, which is something great for children. Um, we don't talk about it uh, much It's uh, because I think, again, Keep it simple for us. It's it's there because I I, I want to make sure the products we sell have uh, uh, something some value out to deliver. I've always had a difficult time as a, putting my consumer hat on when I look at products that have too much or are too I guess say they're over engineered when it comes to uh, benefits and ingredients. So I think there's a fine line. And, and depends on how much of a mass product you want to make versus a, a niche product that goes to a, a targeted audience. Um, but overall, as a company, um, uh, we are always looking at new ingredients um, um, and, and especially functional ingredients. Um, I think there's so much happening. There is so much yet to be discovered. Um, so there's a lot of the funnel is wide and there's a lot of stuff falling into it. I think figuring out the right product, the right application, the, the right occasion, uh, putting it all together in, a, in an offering that resonates with the consumer is the trick is the tricky part. 
I don't think there is a shortage of, uh, of, of, of great functional ingredients. It's how do, you, how do you package it in a way that resonates with consumers is the tricky part. Nice one. Thanks, Jolene. Richa, how are you? How's your day going? Good. Thank you, Mike. My day is going really well. How's your day coming along? Pretty good, aside from the snowstorm, but uh, I'll, I'll drop that now. What? <laughs> I was complaining about the rain, <laughs> but I guess you're on the other side. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, nice to meet you, Nima. Uh, really inspiring story of how you built, um, you know, legacy business, family business. Um, you mentioned about uh, how difficult it is um, to be in U.S. market. Um, just wanted to um, touch base or, or get your advice on as a new company. So um, I have a company called Food for Good. We just launched in the U.S. market with Whole Foods nationally. Um, would love to get your advice on, you know, or some tips on what should I watch out for? Yeah. Uh, first of all, love your product. Awesome work you guys are doing. And uh, I, I, I have a feeling you're going to be very successful. And, um, and congratulations on the Whole Foods national listing. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. That's how we got rolling in the U.S. It helps open up UNFI. It gets you on the radar with brokers. Um, it's, uh, it's a great uh, foundation uh, for natural brands. To, it's a step. It's one of the steps, um, I think, um, uh, for us. Um, and I tell you, it's it's not, it's not a big secret, uh, and it's been said. Depend, you know, depending on the, our product for us, it was it was taste. We got to get people. You got to get the. We were selling food. You got to get uh, the product in people's mouth. So we over uh, and, and I, you know, we we actually started in the northeast region before we went national, which was a little bit easier because in the northeast there's 30 whole food stores. And then if you even micro it down to Manhattan, there's like 10 stores in Manhattan. And, um, and eight of them are like the top stores in the country um, or something like that. There's a few that are top, store, top stores in the country. So the first thing I did is I found a, a local person that uh, she would demo for me in all those stores. And I found uh, uh, Bindra, who's... Uh, <laughs> In New York City, uh, uh, merchandiser, and I called them up, and I, and one one day I actually flew down, and I went, and I uh, did, uh, I surprised them just to see uh, if he's doing the merchandising, because it's, uh, you know, get the night, get succeed in a few stores, build a success story uh, before before going any further, and and the, again the basics of. If you've got an amazing product that has a great story and a great uh, great taste, it's about getting it in the uh, hands and mouths of the consumer. The good thing about Whole Foods, for us natural brand, uh, natural product brands, is that 100% of the people who walk into a Whole Foods store are our target consumer. Therefore, Anytime we do a demo or uh, at a Whole Foods, we're, we're, we're demoing to a target consumer. Whereas if we do a demo in a, a con conventional grocery store, maybe 20% of the people that we demo to 
our, our target consumers. So I think the, the, the key, again, it's not cheap. Um, uh, the P&L doesn't look pretty. It looks wonky um, uh, the first few years, and you have to have the funding to be able to do it. But I think if you tr- believe in the product, I think it's about putting it in people's mouths. And then, obviously, you got to combine that with promotion, the right promotions, the right frequency, the right depth, and, and you know, let the product prove itself. And as it proves itself uh, and the numbers start to show, I think you can then gain, uh, 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 gain, gain additional risk listings. I, 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 I am uh, not a very patient individual. I like things to happen a lot faster, but one thing I've learned is uh, it, some things need a little bit of time and, and proof of concept and retailers need to see uh, need to see the product perform before you get rolled out into other retailers and other channels. So be patient and put your product in people's hands. I know demos are not happening right now, but I'm optimistic that uh, they will come back in the you know in, in H2, maybe Q4. Uh, we can we can be doing demos again. Oh, thank you so much, Nima. I wish you could see me smiling ear to ear when you were complimenting our product. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, and thank you for your for your advice too. Um, that's that's what we are hoping to get done as well. Is uh, uh, in the demo less um, time, how do we get uh, more samples in in people's mouths? So I'm. So good to hear that, uh, that that's the advice you're giving me. Thank you again. Thank you. Good luck. Craig, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. I also enjoyed some of the barbecue sauce from Richa tonight. So I also am a big fan of her product. Nima, you, you said something that was uh, you know, very poignant right now. Um, I'm going to basically ask the same question I asked last week because I think that it's going to just keep coming up. And it's, you know, you said we have to get product into the consumer's hands. The best place to do that is in store where they have their wallet and their shopping basket, but we can't really do that right now. And I think it's it's very optimistic that it'll happen in the second half, maybe in the U S but certainly in like in Canada, I, I don't think so. So, my question to you is you have a lot of new products. I've noticed there's a, you know, there's the star crackers, there's the new savory clusters, some new cookies. Like how are you driving trial right now in Canada? Thank you, Craig. And great, great question. And there is a difference between uh, where we are at in Canada versus where we're at in the U S and, and, uh, the whole world around demo and merchandising and in-store activity has been impacted. And you're right, it will take some time to get back to normal. I think the as a, I, I think Q4 is is a U.S. thing, and I think 2022 is a Canadian uh, for 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 Canada. Um, I think we're a couple of quarters behind the U.S. as far as vaccination and opening up. And so, uh, but I think in the U.S. it will happen. But in, in, in Canada, we have, we're a little bit of, we have a bit of, again, I think it's where you are in the continuum of your brand, uh, 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 I guess, brand awareness. Um, as, as we've built brand awareness and brand trust with our consumers, 
it becomes easier, a little bit easier to introduce new products because there is a certain level of trust and uh, familiarity with the quality that is uh, that made good delivers to consumers. So when we expand into an adjacent category or a new category, we benefit from that equity that comes with the brand. So we can get away with, we can get that trial more without demoing and, and kind of on the back of the brand. Uh, whereas if it's a net new brand, uh, I think you're, it's a definitely a different, uh, so that's why the, what we do may not necessarily work for what, I think it's very important to know where you are in your stage of what I've learned is different tactics at different stages of of our journey, um, and and so in the beginning when we were op- when things were open, what we did is we did every event in the Greater Toronto area. Um, my wife would have a few people, and we would they would just pack the car and go and set up a booth and sample and sell made good and introduce it to people. So nothing fancy, nothing that is written in any. Uh, MBA marketing course. It's just <laughs> get as much products in the hands of as many people as possible and win in your home market, right? So I think we're we're based out of Toronto. The least we can do is we got to win in Toronto. That's the first thing we got to do. Forget about Ontario. Forget about Canada. We got to win Toronto. I want to be in every store in Toronto. That's my goal, and this is what Daniel Lubinsky did for uh, for Kind. He won New York first, or Laura Bar won uh, uh, Boulder first. Uh, you know, you all these brands they win their home market. In my opinion, CPG brands, the startups, uh, and that's simple because all of a sudden your geography is a hundred kilometers. You just focus on the radi- at radius of a hundred kilometers and. You deploy the limited, we deploy the limited resources we have and try to build success stories in that 100 uh, kilometer radius. I think where we start to have challenges is when we try to go too far too fast and uh, don't have the resources to, uh, so I don't know where you're based out of, but I I would focus in my local market and yes, we got to find creative ways of getting the product in. So it's smaller sizes, it's, uh, it's bite sizes, it's, it's digital marketing, which is through couponing, uh, free sampling. It's, 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 the, it's the, uh, uh, the sample boxes that go out there. Just, just, we just got to be creative around how we get, yep. we get product in the hands of yep. consumers. No, that makes sense. Just win, win on your home turf before going elsewhere. Thank now, where you. Are you based, where are you based out of? I'm in, I'm in Toronto. So, yeah, today, like, we have a new release, and we were just driving around even to coffee shops today and giving them free boxes to hand out to their customers. Um, yeah. That's kind of our – that's our sample. That's one of the ways that we're doing sampling um, is just giving them to coffee shops that are open. Yeah, I would say – the 100-kilometer radius of Toronto is maybe a quarter of the Canadian market. So it's not a bad size market. Um, and uh, you can do a ton of, you can do millions of dollars just just owning the 100-kilometer radius of, of your home. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Hopefully that was helpful. 
And Nima, I'm surprised you didn't say you know Manitoba Harvest conquered the Winnipeg market first. You know before we uh, before we went. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know that, much about that, Winnipeg. That huge Winnipeg market before we went out yeah. to elsewhere out there. Yeah, but it, it is it is one that you know, and, and the strategy is different. Uh, I think Nima talked about it to, depending on the size of the business, but for the other uh, the other founders that are listening, you know, just understanding you know sample boxes, sample size. Um, talking demos, uh, training, so you get your staff pick in the store, uh, obviously influencer marketing, uh, video demos, so you show people how your product uh, tastes even through a, through a video, virtual events that we're seeing more, virtual yoga events, virtual health food events. Uh, so there are tools uh, in the toolbox. You just got to figure out you know what's, what works well for your brand, but uh, nothing better than if you live in a major city. Uh, to be able to conquer that city and because it just gets it gets more expensive and harder the further that you go away from home so yeah thanks thanks craig lily how are you today welcome hi mike i'm doing fantastic about yourself doing well thank you great 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 uh nima so my question's for you so i have a line that's launching and we're just finishing up testing and um one of the things i keep getting pushed back on i'm in, I'm in marin county i don't know if everyone's just really neurotic here <laughs> maybe they are um, so I'm using erythritol and, um, I just got so much pushback on that because I guess it interferes with your small intestine. And, um, so I scrapped it for a while and I was just using monk fruit and it's just not the same taste and the texture just wasn't there. And so I had to go back to it and now I'm just going to, you know, use it and, um, ask for, what do they say? Ask, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> so, um. I noticed that you use agave and that's also something that people push back on. What is your thoughts on agave and kind of what is your rationale for using that in your product? Uh, Excellent, excellent question. I love it. Sugars. You can't win with sugars. I think there is, uh, whether it's real sugar, um, natural sugar, sugar alcohol, um, I think all of them have um, in general, we should just have less sugar. And I think there is no, to me, there is no ma- uh, uh, magic bullet here. Uh, I cannot say, tell you that agave is the best sugar. No, I think it's just a better version of uh, a more processed sugar. And I look at, I think one thing people don't uh, really look at is also the amount as well. You know, it's just, you just read the label, but what's the amount that you're consuming? The other thing that people don't look at is uh, what are the other ingredients? Because you, you're not eating uh, each ingredient in the product on its own and then waiting to see its impact. Your body is digesting everything together. And, and so when I get pushback, I, you know, uh, and we did with agave, I think there is a retailer in the U.S. Uh, I can't remember uh, NCG. That doesn't. That they have a ban on agave. They don't list anything that has agave. Although they have, they sell agave syrup on the shelf. They don't sell anything new that has. They don't add anything new. So you're gonna. What I think you're gonna have resistance. I think it's what what resonates. What are you trying to do? What resonates to the consumer? For us, we don't claim to be the best out there. I think that's where it's about the communication. If you can give your child, for made good, for example, if you can get your child to have cut carrots, broccoli, and some apples, please give them that because that's what they got to eat. They should not be eating made good. 
Made good becomes the second choice, and I think it's important for brands to um, know the role they, they're playing. They're not. We're not here to be. We're not. We're a packaged good that is preserved that has a shelf life. Ultimately, fresh fruit and vegetables are. I think it's understanding and accepting that we are not going to create something that's so good that's a, that it's the perfect product. Nature has already created perfect uh, food and we can just go and pick it from the tree and eat it. So anything you take, as soon as you move away from that, we've, lo- we've lost. So nothing is, nothing is good, as good as that. And that's the philosophy that uh, we have as a company and we know and we, we admit and we know we can't, we, can't please, we can't please everyone. And we know that also at the same time, we know that we're not, uh, our products are also uh, not as perfect as real fruits and vegetables. So I think that's the, I think that's if you, if you can, to me, and what trumps everything else is taste. So if you can get a great tasting product with erythritol, you're going to have a certain percentage of the population that's not going to eat your product. We respect them, we thank them, and then you focus on the people who, who uh, uh, don't see it as an issue. And you have to believe in it that you're not putting, uh, you're, not, you're happy with erythritol, you consume it. I think that's also important as well. So it's tough. It's a, sugar is a hot topic, and uh, I think we have Susie in the audience who is an expert in, uh, in this and uh, so I'm not the expert I just I, I know we're not I know we're not uh, we don't have perfect products but we have better we're better than most products out there but we're not as good as the real stuff that's what I recommend always and when we first initially did our first pitch our deck for made good we had you want to give your kids an apple that's the first choice don't we do not want to replace the fruit we want to be, okay, they've had their fruit. If they want to have a treat, we're better than a chocolate bar. That's Knowing where we are in the continuum, I think, is really important. That's a good point. Yeah, and I think also, you know, uh, stevia used to be very popular, and now they're saying that it interferes with the microbiome. So I feel like with the news that's coming out with erythritol, I feel like it's kind of we're all just discovering at the same time. So use what you, you know, the concept of, do the best with what you have right now, right? And then once a new report comes out next year that erythritol is bad for your gut health, then perhaps I need to like rethink it. But, um, you know, the sweeteners that we have today weren't around 10 years from now, 10 years ago. So I feel like it's just kind of do, do your best with what you have now. But thank you so much. I really value your input. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Lily. Yeah, I don't think you can, just from my experience, you can't satisfy everybody. And some people want... Um, coconut sugar other people want agave other people want uh, sugar alcohols and 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 so i think nima pointed to it that you, you got to be proud uh, and personally consume the product that you're that you're putting into your product and then and then find your tribe that uh, that likes that, uh, that 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 choice of sweeteners and lauren how are you welcome hey guys um i'm just out walking my dog so let me know if my audio quality is bad um, but yeah, super excited about this conversation. It's been great so far. Um, on the sugar topic, actually, we dabbled with a few different sugars for our product and we ended up with coconut palm sugar and, um, maple syrup flakes and we've gotten really good feedback on those. So I don't know if those work with your products, but just want to add that to the conversation before uh, jumping into my question. 
Um, but yeah, so my question is, I'm getting ready to launch a CPG product. It's a dairy-free superfood coffee creamer. And since I'm pre-launch, I'm really trying to decide what my best strategy is for the you know first year, let's say. So the two realms I could go is purely online, you know, direct to consumer only, um, or, you know, that uh, on top of doing retail. The problem with retail is right now it just seems very difficult to kind of sort out what all the requirements are in terms of getting an NPN and, and working in a commercial kitchen and everything. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are for someone just getting started, how important it is to sort that stuff out right from the get-go and get into retail as soon as possible. Thanks so much. Thanks for the question. It's, uh, it's the, it's the million-dollar question. It's the zero to one that is that is the uh, uh, that I think is probably the hardest, or zero to a hundred, or whatever that initial um, initial uh, revenue and initial path to launch. And it's uh, so uh, I think it, it it depends so much on the product and um, and where you are situated. Um, and what your strengths and connections are and how much money you have or how much resources you have to deploy. So all of those play into the strategy that you want to choose. Um, I think, um, I think uh, uh, you know, you, you have a food service angle with it being a creamer. Um, I think that's, that's something that creates trial, I think, uh, for your brand. Uh, you have the direct-to-consumer which it sounds, it always sounds uh, so appealing, uh, direct to consumer. Let's put up a website and people come and buy it. Um, I, I just, I, from our experience, we do well with direct to consumer. It's just, it is, it is a lot more complicated than it sounds. Uh, to me, retail is a little bit easier to start with. I, I think it's hard to do. To me, again, I don't know how much resources you have. And also, you get a bit of a sense of how the product was received. So, what I call a test and learn launch. So maybe uh, you you select ten stores, a hundred stores. You go in um, and you go in and you try. You see the you demo. You see how it turns. You see you've got the right price point. Uh, where your merchandise. You kind of sort all of that out, and you start to build a success story. And if it's working and if it's successful, things will come to you. People will see your product. Distributor reps will pick you up. I think, um, I think the key is to get started more than anything else, is to pick a path and get started. And to me, the, simple, the easier one, to me, because maybe I'm older, maybe I'm aging myself, but I, I like that retail. Uh, I like uh, ultimately the fact that I can talk to people or merchandise the physical product versus the direct-to-consumer. But different people have, may, may have different strengths, and your strength may be you have a, enough of a following on, on social and you can create that direct-to-consumer base right off the bat that will consume your product, and that's where you want to start. So, um, But I would say it's exciting. Get started and, and do learn from, you know, keep your eyes and ears open to learn as much and pick up as much as you can during the first few weeks and months uh, and then and then that will allow you to adjust your strategy so don't pick a path and just be blind and and i think it's the key is to be able to have the ability and the nimbleness to uh to uh 
modify as you need. Thank you. I'll just pile on there a little bit, Lauren, as I think um, it, it does depend on the category. But even if you look into creamers like Nut Pods uh, created their whole success on, on Amazon before they ever went into into retail. So um, and again, depending on if you're dry or liquid, what category I'm a big fan nowadays of uh, direct to consumer on your website you know, Amazon and the other resellers, and then that 100 kilometer or 100 mile uh, radius around your, your home. Uh, so you can really can control it uh, and get in, whether it's whether it's brick and mortar retail or it's coffee shop or it's a uh, practitioner or, or, or whatever other um, convenience, whatever the channel you're selling into, but close to home. So you can, you can learn and, and, and innovate rapidly without you know, blowing the bank or, 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 your, or your mind if you go too, uh, too wide too fast. That's awesome. And yeah, I'm also based in Toronto, so it's a good 100 kilometer radius for sure. Um, and Nima, I actually agree with you, despite uh, maybe being like a more of a digital first uh, generation in that digital actually isn't doesn't seem to be as appealing as most people think in the sense that there's the cost to acquire a customer and the shipping costs are so much higher than I would have anticipated. So I definitely am on board for the retail. Um, I guess my question would be when you guys first first got started, what was the easiest way to get everything you needed to get into retail? Were you renting a commercial kitchen? Um, maybe just a bit tactically kind of what your steps were when, when you were getting ready to go into retail. Yeah, so we had a bit of a head start because of the experience we had in manufacturing. So we uh, knew the way to make our own product. So we already had the product and the manufacturing knowledge and uh, we knew how to set up a small manufacturing facility quite like in a scrappy way so that we could do it ourselves. And that's what we did. Uh, so it's pretty much like an industrial kitchen, but we built that kitchen ourselves and operated it ourselves. And, um, and so it, and I've heard, you know, it is, it is, <laughs> uh, that's one thing that I don't have that expertise. And I'll be honest is that really to start from that, a uh, small amount in the indust- from the industrial kitchen and building the volume to go into a co-packer because I'm assuming I don't think you want to be making your own product so you have to then be able to uh, create enough of a demand and that's the biggest hurdle in my opinion in the back of the house is to create that enough enough demand to be able to pick up the phone and talk to a co-packer and that you have enough volume for them to make the product so I don't have experience on that because what we did is we started to make our own products from day one and we've been making our own products on, on, from day one. But maybe, Mike, yeah, I can give you some uh, uh, pointer. Yeah, there's some there's some resources, uh, you know, District Ventures Kitchen in Toronto, uh, the, the Guelph uh, food, food, food Center, or the other universities. Uh, uh, so you, you really... Um, uh, those would be a couple, I think, that to explore if you're looking for a plug-and-play where you can go in, manufacture your own product, and and kind of rent the space by day, or rent some some equipment and uh, and maybe even some labor by day, uh, and not have any of the um, uh, fixed overhead costs. That's awesome. And then when I'm in those commercial kitchens, do I just use their licenses, and that's how I get my NPN? So it's NPN from us. It's a supplement product or or 
So I, I thought it was a creamer, but uh, supplement based that you need a natural product uh, license. Or? Oh, so maybe I don't need an NP, and I thought I did. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, like our ingredients are just coconut milk, MCT, turmeric, coconut palm sugar, very basic. Yeah, I mean, if it's a nutrition facts panel uh, marketed as a food as a nutrition pack fa- pa- facts panel, then 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 you don't uh, need any. You don't need any license or certification if it's a supplement facts panel in Canada, you, you need a natural product identification number or NPN through health Canada. Uh, but if it's a food and you're, and you're going to market it as a creamer under, uh, as a, uh, as a food product with a nutrition facts, then the, um, like if you use that example of a district ventures kitchen, uh, or one of the universities or one of the food development centers, um, they would have the, uh, the HACCP, uh, license, uh, GMP license and or, uh, GFSI, the global food safety initiative, uh, certification there that you, that, that would cover you so that uh, you, you could make it there and sell it in, uh, in, in a mainstream retailer if you wanted to. Mike, you just took a year off my life. Thank you so much. That's unbelievable. I, I think I just added a, added a year <laughs> yeah. to your life, but took a year off your business. Which is took a nice. year off my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's incredible. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Tim. Welcome. How you doing? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Doing well, thank you. Cool. Thank Thanks for having me. I uh, feel honored to be on stage here with Mike Fada and Nima, two legends in the space. This is great. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm the founder of Broya, uh, an organic bone broth company here in Canada. And <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I've uh, in the last year or so taken a lot more of a focus on e-commerce and seen a lot of success there, which has been great. Um, went through a pretty big packaging change as well from a uh, 295 ml glass bottle into a 500 ml pouch and uh, I think it's just a much it's a definitely a better format for the category the bone broth category I kind of to be honest screwed up the the first format like I I was going more after a a ready to drink format with the broth and uh, it just didn't really work out like uh, you know doesn't really fit in the RTD section. Uh, yeah, a little weird. So anyway, um, you know, pivot to these pouches and just a much better, much better format for the product. Um, had had some listings that I've lost since, uh, including Metro and Farm Boy. And um, I'm just curious, like, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, kind of rebounding in retail when you lose a couple key listings and uh and kind of going back at it and to be honest like retail is uh it's it's not something i'm great at myself like i'm not really a retail sales dude i just like have a tough time playing that game um but uh yeah i'm curious about your thoughts and i don't have a broker yet i worked with i worked with a couple and uh didn't really work out uh so anyway yeah i'll leave it at that and just uh would love to hear your thoughts on kind of rebounding in retail I like your uh, I like your packaging. I think it uh, the the new the new pouches look look awesome. They stand out. Um, is it a refrigerated product or is it ambient? Uh, so it's yes, yeah, shelf stable. Shelf stable, yeah. So mm-hmm. that that's awesome. Um, rebound with retail. Uh, first uh, first rule of CPG is try not to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Second rule of CPGs: try not to get there. <laughs> uh, it's like Fight Club. Um, right. 
it's it's one of those things that uh, um, I, I agree. It's it's hard to rebound, and we all have it. It's uh, and I think you want to build. Uh, it's hard to go back into the same retailers, but I think you can pick to uh, uh, some uh, uh, retailers that are a fit uh, uh, for you that have consumers or shoppers that are that that uh, align with your shopper, and then go to them and try to build a success story out of them. And go back to uh, to uh, to retail. So, um, uh, and then you said you're doing well on ecom, which is fantastic. And we see we you know we see ecom growing, mm-hmm. continuing to grow, and the omni channel continuing to grow. So that's 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 good. I think uh, ultimately, uh, as Mike said, you can build uh, amazing brands on just being on ecom. But eventually, I think you need to get you know, to have a meaningful brand, I, I believe you still need to have uh, a retail presence. And given that you're in, I think you're in Toronto or you're in the yeah. GTA. Yeah. So I think you've got, you got a lot of great retailers um, that, uh, that you can work with. Um, you, may, you know, and the fact that uh, you live in the market, you, you can get away with not with not having a broker and not having a distributor. So you can do it all yourself and see how it does and then build it out uh, from there. Um, and, uh, um, and and the fact that you have your eggs in, not all your eggs in one basket and that you have a good, robust uh, e-com business, I think you can keep doubling down on that and, uh, and, uh, and growing that while you build the retail side of it as well. And eventually, Sobeys or... or is it Farm Boy and Metro will come, you know, they'll come back. Um, I remember Farm Boy for us was uh, such a hard account to get. Uh, it took us, it took us, and you would think it took us five years to get. Uh, it was probably one of the last retailers that came on for us. And now they're one of our, uh, I, I love them and they're a great customer and they've come to the city and they're fantastic. So I can, you know, some comes early, some come easy, some come hard, some... You lose and then you got to go win again. It's a long journey. It's not, mm-hmm. I think, uh, uh, don't be discouraged by that, by the, there's the, by the defeats or by the D-lists. I think you just build around it. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to go back to Farm Boy, but you should try. It doesn't hurt to try, but, um, uh, but, but it's probably a little bit easier to build it around with other retailers. Uh, and then and then show the numbers. You know, I think one thing that I learned is that um, uh, retailers make decisions on numbers. So if you start to show good performance in other grocery retailers and you start to uh, appear on data, then it's a lot easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have it, you have to sell on attributes alone. Right. And so that's a little bit of a different type of selling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I just I'd, I'd maybe add there, Tim, as I have some deep scars on my back from uh, when we had our five-pound hemp hearts that used to be sold in a in a jar, uh, and we went and changed it to a pouch um, with a UPC change that needed to be, and it cost me a million dollars in sales, and uh, and it hurt me really bad, and I'll I'll never forget that, and I don't want anyone else to experience that. So for you know, for all all founders, all entrepreneurs out there, if you if you make if you make that change, um, it, it's best to, uh, to to navigate that change. I know your situation is a, a little bit different, and I, kind of point two there is uh, it's really all about making friends in in retail. Um, if you're going to be in retail, 
um, you got to understand retail and you got to understand what, what makes the retailer successful because um, if a product's not working, the best thing that you could do is to acknowledge to the retailer the product's not working. And if you're planning uh, a SKU change or an assortment change or a packaging change, bring them into the fold of that. And sometimes you can uh, you can get their cooperation um, and, and, and they'll help. Uh, it's usually, a, uh, you know, especially in the bigger retailers, it is, a, is it, it is a new launch. It's a new usually listing fee or free fill. Um, but sometimes, especially in the natural foods channel, uh, you could literally swap out the product, maintain your shelf space, maintain your relationship with the retailer, uh, but get your new uh, get your get your new packaging in. So, yeah, I've, I've uh, been able to successfully do that with with Whole Foods and uh, Healthy Planet. I hope as well, but uh, uh, some of these other ones are uh, definitely tougher. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, another question for you guys don't mind. Yeah, just um, one more because we got yeah, two minutes okay. and we're going to uh, okay. make sure that Nima can go back to his uh, his evening. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nima, I just wanted to. You mentioned your success in uh, DTC and Omnichannel. What are you seeing there, particularly for your success? Um, like what channels? Like specifically through your website and or like Amazon, Walmart. Like, um, would love to hear your thought or your um, what you're seeing there. I love Amazon um, because I think they really are run a great uh, company and a great platform and uh, they are always getting better. It's one of those companies that I'm really, I, I, I look up to as far as the way they operate and as a seller, third party seller and we've been a third party seller, I find that um, you can get a lot you can you can access a lot of con, a lot of uh, consumers, whereas in direct to consumer, you really have to bring people to your website. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so for us, we were it, we started on Amazon and then we built uh, direct to consumer. I think it's just a little bit easier to do that. And if your product is doing well and if you can keep inventory, Amazon rewards good performance. So mm-hmm. if you're able to maintain good performance, they they want they, they've got the algorithms uh, done in a way so that they keep um, uh, pro- pushing your product. They are they're also very good at taking your money and promoting it, but I think the <laughs> ROI on it is uh, is pretty good. So I'm I'm keen on Amazon both in Canada and the US and you can do <clears throat> the good thing is you can sell into the U.S. just by being on Amazon, right? So, right. Um, and they've got the storefront feature. If you do the brand registry, um, and mm-hmm. and they've got a ton, they've got tons of tools that you can run a nice, successful, meaningful business on Amazon alone. Mm-hmm. To me, which uh, to me, uh, again, between the in, the in the continuum of retail, I like the best, and I like Amazon. Then, direct to consumer is my least favorite because there's so much effort you got to put in to bring people to your website unless you're really good at uh, 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 the social media as well the social media aspect and and, and creating and and reaching and connecting with your uh, with your user base Mm -hmm. yeah cool thanks yeah getting listed on Amazon soon Uh, most of the success I've had is through my website just through Facebook ads email pretty high average order value around a hundred dollars so it, it works uh the economics work which is nice that's um, yeah, awesome yeah. that's yeah. awesome mm-hmm. yeah anyway thanks guys appreciate the, the time yeah great um glad it was helpful tim and uh, yeah i'm also 
huge fan of Amazon. We built a massive business there. You know, there's a lot of eyes on Amazon. If you get the A plus pages and you get your your pages right and you get reviews, uh, I think if you look nowadays in, in the U.S. anyway, Hamparts has like twelve thousand five star reviews. When you go there as a consumer, it's just it's selling every day, and, uh, uh, and so it, it's it's quite a remarkable retailer. Uh, Nima, we're uh, before we come to an end. Any uh, any final words from you? Um, uh, no, I just I, I think Mike, you're doing you're doing a fantastic job. I think uh, this uh, platform, especially during COVID, has been great in in uh, uh, providing a means for us to connect in the industry. Um, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to give a little bit back uh, to to founders and I. I get excited when I hear where people are in their journey and I wish them uh, all the best. And uh, I guess um, the one thing that I learned from my father, which I think is the secret sauce ultimately that beats everything else is that is that per- perseverance, that resiliency ultimately is the, is the success, is the key to success. So I wish you all... Uh, 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 that I think uh, I think if you have that in place, I think you'll be successful. So thank you, Mike, for your uh, for uh, for allowing me to share. Yeah, well, uh, no, thank you for taking the time and um, and and can people? Uh, I know you're on LinkedIn, uh, not not super active, but you're on there. Can people connect with you? If uh, uh, on yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure, yeah. Send me message. I one of the things I do is I always try to answer messages back because I think it's important. Uh, when you start, when you start small, uh, when you send call, when you do cold calls and you send messages to people, you you wish people write you back. So I have that soft spot for, for any message or any email that comes in. I always make sure I write back, even if it doesn't work or I can't do anything. I think it's 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 good to write people back, and I hope there's more of more of that happens. Um, um, so. That's awesome. I'm I'm 100% the same way. Big believer in that. Even if it's a no or can't help out or it's redirecting to somebody else, it's uh, better than a uh, just uh, ignoring people. So, well, you heard it. Uh, if you want to connect further with uh, with Nima, uh, use LinkedIn. Um, if I can be helpful in any way, ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks so much again, Nima, for taking your time. Appreciate you. Value your time. Everyone, thanks for uh, for contributing, and wish you all a very good evening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fada. That's it for now. See you next time.